Hey, what's going on, veterinary anesthesia nerves? I have a very, very exciting episode. Not only is it super personal for me, because of where I'm currently working right now, but also uh, because it is something that we really haven't delved into here on the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast before. I want you guys to welcome our special guest, Dr. Charlotte Kane. She is a board-certified laboratory animal veterinarian, and she has over 16 years of experience in this field. Uh, we are going to talk about all the opportunities that come along with lab animal medicine and maybe some career opportunities you haven't quite thought about yet and how we can make a difference in the anesthesia and pain management that goes forward. So everyone, please help us welcome Dr. Charlotte Kane. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay. Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> All right, Dr. Kane. So, um, as you may or may not know, the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast is pretty much focused on all things anesthesia and pain management. So, probably what some people are thinking is, how does that even work in lab animal medicine? What kind of things are you doing? And where can anesthesia and pain management come into play? As a doctor on the floor going through all kinds of different experiments and working with different species, I'm sure that you get to experience a lot of different types of anesthesia. Can you walk us through how, as a lab animal veterinarian, you get to work in anesthesia or influence anesthesia for these experiments? Absolutely. So, um, I'd like to start by saying that laboratory animal medicine um, and lab animal research is very highly regulated. So there's a lot of oversight uh, from the USDA, for example, and from other uh, regulatory bodies. And uh, Animal Welfare Act, the guide, is one of the things that we absolutely have to follow, not only just because it's a regulatory requirement, because it's an ethical thing to do. Um, and it's what's best for the science as well. So having animals that are minimal pain, minimal distress is beneficial to both the animals and to the research. If your animals are stressed out, if they're in pain, that's going to impact their physiology, which is going to impact the data. So nobody wants that. Scientists don't want that. The veterinarians don't want that. So where the lab animal vet comes in, I, I kind of see my role as like a bridge. Um, between the researcher and the animal. So we have a lot of researchers that are PhDs, MDs, very knowledgeable um, subject matter experts, but have maybe never touched a mouse or maybe never sedated a mouse. And there's, you know, just like anything, the right way and a wrong way to do things. So a lot of our um, research models involve surgery. Um, and it's my job, you know, every time you have a, a proposal involving animals for research, uh, regulations required that a veterinarian review that proposal. And it doesn't matter if it's a mouse or a monkey, a veterinarian's got to look at it, make sure that you're using the appropriate anesthetics, analgesics, restraint techniques, et cetera. So that's my one of my primary functions is to do that. Um, we're also charged with following what's called the three R's. So this is one of the uh, regulatory requirements that, and the R stand for, you know, reduction, refinement, and replacement. And where anesthesia comes in is the refinement piece. So is there an analgesic, like, for example, sustained release buprenorphine that you could give that doesn't require you to handle the animal quite so often? Because sometimes handling even can be stressful. So when we're, those are the things that, the types of things that we're looking for when we're reviewing the protocols. 
uh, replacement is like, do you need to use a dog for this model? Could you use a, a mouse or a rat? Um, and then reduction is you really need 100 mice for the study. Could you maybe get the same information with 10? So those are the types of things that we that we keep in mind um, when we're looking at protocols and looking at research models. That's awesome. I mean, it's very, you know, that's a really cool component. And one thing that I think probably my listeners know that I do, I do have a job in animal research now, and I, I very much think it's super interesting. And I love the collaboration between kind of like human medicine or human trained um, doctors and anesthesiologists, and then what we bring in from the veterinary side. And I really do, like you just said, think it's very important, especially if some of these MDs, they're super knowledgeable and may, you know, know, uh, cardiac physiology in and out, but maybe have never uh, touched a swine ever in their life. So, you know, exactly. that's a, a different like thing. And I, I really enjoy kind of bridging that gap and, and talking to people about that. Just to go back to the regulatory side, for people who aren't familiar with lab animal medicine, can you give them uh, for our listeners and explain to them how an IACUC functions uh, within the research sure. facility? So Again, um, if you're using, so there's just two different components, but um, most regulations require that you have an IACUC, which is the Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee. Uh, this is a committee that's made up of scientists, non-scientists, uh, veterinarians, and usually one or two community members. So someone that's not affiliated with the institution at all, uh, and that person is to kind of be the temperature tech uh, for the group to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Um, and they look at all the protocols as well. So anyone that is proposing to use animals for a research project has to submit what's called an animal study protocol. This animal study protocol is then reviewed by members of the IACUC. Um, they look at the science, they look at the animal numbers, they look at the species, they look at any hazards that may be involved. They look at anesthesia, analgesia, special housing, special dieting, you name it. It's, it's, it's a very laborious process, um, but a necessary process. Um, if you're receiving NIH funding, you know, then you have to definitely go through that. So every, every single animal user in any institution anywhere has to go through this process. And the IACUC has the authority to say, hey, we don't think you should use this model or, hey, you need to change this or you need to take this part out, or they can just say, absolutely not, you know, we're not, we're not approving the study. Um, so, you know, and the veterinarians play a key role because they have, they're the subject matter experts when it comes to particular models. And also when it comes to, you know, the main thing I look at when I'm reviewing a protocol is what is the experience of the animal? What are the endpoints of the study? Uh, you know, every institution has what's called the AV or the attending veterinarian. And that person has the final say, um, and they have the authority to shut down the research. I think a lot of people don't realize that. They think the scientists are, have the final say, and that is not the case. Um, the attending vet has the authority to say, this animal is done, this research is done, uh, this protocol is done. And I think that's important, right? Because, you know, these animals, they, they don't ask to be here. Um, and so they really need, they really count on the veterinarians and the vet techs to advocate for them. So if we feel that an animal has reached its endpoint or someone has done something off protocol, because that's, that's huge from a regulatory standpoint as well, um, then we can step in and say, hey, you know, we have to put a halt to this. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's true of 
all of us as veterinary professionals, right? Like that's our main role is to be an advocate for the animal, whether you're in clinical medicine or research medicine, um, any of it. Um, I think that that's why we all got into this because we want to be that animal advocate. So, you know, kind of to segue into just career wise, um, I do think that most veterinarians and veterinary technicians that uh, they just graduated school, I, I don't think that most of them think of lab animal medicine or research. And so what was it about it that kind of drew you in and what aspects do you enjoy? I think that, you know, okay, so I'm just going to say listeners, she's making the little um, money thing. And I, I will tell you, um, that we do not shy away from the fact <laughs> we've had many uh, talks about finances here on Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast, and we are very uh, pro veterinarians being paid what they are worth. And this is a emotionally challenging job. This is a physically challenging job. You should be compensated mm. and be able to make a living in this field. So I think that even though we say we don't do it for money, I do think that in the back of your mind, you do need to be able to pay your rent or mortgage. And so that should be something that that plays into it. And I think that especially for new veterinarians or new veterinary technicians that may be saddled with a lot of debt, I do think that research and lab animal medicine does tend to pay a little bit more. And so in the beginning, it might be a good place to get your feet wet and make that money. (laughs) I mean, honestly, um, no one goes into veterinary medicine for the money, right? Like, no, it's not. It doesn't have a reputation for, you know, being a a cash cow. Like, you know, I could have gone to medical school and been a physician. Um, And I almost did. That would have been terrible. But, you know, I actually... (laughs) I actually wanted to enjoy my job and I actually wanted to love what I did. So I, I wanted to be a vet uh, when I was nine years old. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, we always had cats in the house. I learned later it's because we had a mouth problem, but I was a kid. I just thought, <laughs> hey, we have cats. This is awesome. I was always bringing home stray cats and trying to fix them and getting the crud out of their eye and stuff. And um, I don't know. I, I, I always tell people it was a calling for me. Um, I did not get uh, you know, exposed to laboratory animal medicine until I was in college and I was working, um, during a research summer program. And I had no idea that lab animal vets even existed. You know, I think I was like a lot of people. I thought that if you had a PhD, you could just go buy some mice and do whatever you wanted. I had no idea about all of the regulations and I thought it was amazing and wonderful and I actually worked with a veterinarian who was both the principal investigator and a, a lab animal vet. So she had her own lab and she did her own research and I thought it was amazing. And so I was able to see, there was a lot of appeal for me. One, because I still wanted to help people, but I didn't want to touch sick people. So <laughs> yeah, same. I, like, you'd hey. be surprised how many guests on this show all say the same thing that, oh, yeah, we love medicine, but we actually right. don't want to touch people yeah, or no. talk to them. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sick people are gross. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I can help animals and people at the same time. Um, so I got into to veterinary school fully thinking that I was going to go into lab animal medicine, but then I got exposed to all of the other specialties. And I was like, wow, pathology is really cool. And then I was like, wow, surgery is really cool. And then wow, ophthalmology is really cool. So I changed my mind several times and I ended up spending a couple years in general practice just while I figured figured everything out. Um, and that's when I learned that general practice was not for me. Um, work-life balance was just not there. 
just was not there. I was working every Saturday. I had Sundays and Wednesdays off. I was working 10, 12 hour shifts. I was exhausted. I never saw my family. It was, you know, and you, you got to have a come to Jesus moment where you're like, man, you're looking five, 10, down, 10 years down the line. You're like, is this really what I want to do? I love the puppies and kittens, but I was bored. That's really what it, I was bored doing the same vaccines and phase neuters every single day. So I was like, you know, I think I should revisit this lab animal thing because it combines everything that I like, the pathology, the surgery, the opto, the exotics. Every day is different. Monday through Fridays, no holidays. I'm like, hey, let's take a look. Let's revisit this. And I decided to do a residency in lab animal and I've never, I have no regrets. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's, it's amazing. Awesome. So, um, and yes, the pay is, the pay is good. Yeah. And the pay, the pay is, you know, I definitely, I, again, I think that that's an important component. I mean, I, I, of course we are very altruistic and want to help animals, but again, we do need to pay my Pico bill. Um, so <laughs> that does play. Yeah, into and it. you know, our, our quality of life is important. Like a lot of people focus on the quality of life of the animals, but if we're burnt out, if we're stressed out, that impacts how well we take care of our animals. So I'm I'm very strict about boundaries around work-life balance. And it's really hard to do that in a general practice setting where, you know, everything is on demand almost. You know, they expect you to be available all times of day and night. And, you know, that's that's really difficult. Yeah, and I'll tell you, we just had a discussion about this on I don't know if it was on the anesthesia nerds page, but we basically were talking about boundaries and setting those boundaries and how difficult it can be in clinical practice. And for me, kind of the thing that I'll tell you, I top out at 10 hours. Like I cannot work a 12 hour day. And I quite frankly, even though I do consider myself an expert in veterinary anesthesia, I'll tell you that if I'm on hour 12, you oh, do not yeah. want me to be the one doing anesthesia on your pet. Uh, if I'm exhausted, I'm going to miscalculate a CRI. I'm not going to yeah. be at paying attention as much. Uh, and that's when mistakes happen. And I think that we we do need to be better in the veterinary industry about setting those boundaries and, you know, deciding what the, because the boundaries are different for everyone, uh, but really setting those boundaries and and being, you know, not upset to be yeah. like, no, my family comes first or no, I have these other obligations and we have a lot of work to do. I'm still always super hopeful for veterinary medicine because I do love vet med so much and all aspects of vet med. So I see that things are getting better in the industry and I hope for, you know, even more awareness and even better in the future. But so looking, if you are a young veterinary technician or a young newly graduated veterinarian, um, do you have any advice for people who might want to get started in a lab animal or research setting? Like, how do you go about getting that experience or finding those jobs or? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I will tell you there are jobs aplenty. Um, as when, you know, my former institution, um, we were always looking for CVTs and they were so hard to find. Because, like you said, most of them didn't even know that this field existed. So um, they have a skill set that is very much in need and in demand in the lab animal field. So you could work for, like, the veterinary medicine side of things or, like you, that you could go and work in a lab. And they really need people with your expertise, you know, not only just for 
the animal handling, but just for like the anesthesia monitoring, equipment maintenance, um, knowledge around medications and medical interactions and contraindications that, you know, you know, a lot of doctors, for example, they don't know you can't give a cat Tylenol. Like they, that doesn't even occur to them. So, you know, just little things like that, that we're like, no, you can't do that. But they don't, they don't think about stuff like that. So um, what we had, uh, well, there's a couple of different things. So we used to have like an internship program where we would have uh, vet techs come in and do rotations through the different areas um, in our facility. And some of them just came for a day. They just came and shadowed our vet techs for a day just to get some exposure. So there's like no long-term commitment. And all of them said the exact same thing. Like, wow, we had no idea that you guys took such good care of these animals and the enrichment and, you know, all of the extra treats and playtime that they get. Like this was like their mind was blown. Like they had no idea because, you know, the way that, animal research is depicted in the media is almost 99.9% negative and -hmm. inaccurate. So, you know, I like to, you know, when I talk to students and and undergrads, pre-vet students about what I do, I always start with like a picture of like the zombie apocalypse, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. usually where the movie always starts out with some research project gone wrong. Um, And then, you know, so that's people's perception of science. The scientists don't know what they're doing. The animals are being abused and mistreated. And nothing could be further from the truth. Like, I would not be able to sleep at night if I knew the animals here were being mistreated. So, you know, and I actually have a lot more control over how the animals are treated than I did in general practice. Like, I can't tell you how many times people took animals home and I was just like, oh, God, because they, they, you know, they didn't have the money or, you know, it, it was, it was very, very difficult um, for me. So, and, you know, the other thing I didn't like about general practice was this is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was very driven by money. It was profit, profit driven. Um, so, you know, you had to, you had, at the end of the day, that the goal was to make a profit. My sole goal here is animal welfare, and I get to focus on that and not really worry about the money component so much because all of that is taken care of by the institution. And so I really, I really love not having negotiate prices with people. I don't miss that at all. Yeah, I do think that's a that's a difficult thing, and it's a good point that you do make up that there are a lot of places or institutions that. Uh, for veterinary technicians that most of them have to do uh, a clinical component that they can look into doing the clinical component or the internship at lab animal practice. I do think that there, you know, for you guys that are in the Philadelphia area, if you want to hit me up, I'm pretty sure I know of some places that do a clinical component or, um, again, shameless plug here. If you're in the Philadelphia area and you're a CVT and you want a job, let me know because I can definitely connect you with some people uh, to to get started in lab animal medicine. Um, but I think that you bring up a really great point, again, as we've talked about before, it, that it's all about animal welfare and making sure that you are the advocate. And I think that That was one thing that drew me to this. I had worked in clinical practice and at a specialty and emergency hospital off and on in that kind of realm for 16 years. And 
it's very disheartening. I mean, I can remember one gray pity that like broke my heart because the owner chose to euthanize. She was two years old and they chose to euthanize instead of doing a foreign body surgery. Uh, And that happens all the time. And it, Mm -hmm. it is emotionally distressing. And I felt like when I had this opportunity to come here and work as part of a lab um, that at the time didn't have any veterinary people on staff. I thought that, wow, I could really, you know, make a difference with this lab and make a difference in the lives of these animals, um, but also educate kind of the greater, you know, work towards that greater good of increased awareness as far as pain management goes, increased awareness for, you know, great anesthetic technique and that kind of thing, which is and kind of like to, what I'm know. about. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 if if you stay in the field long enough, you get to see the fruits of your labor. Like sometimes when you're in the day to day, you you kind of lose sight of the big picture, which is to help people. It also helps animals too. But I mean, like I have examples, personal examples in my own life. My my mom's diabetic, and there would be no treatment for her condition without animal research. Um, my dad developed a heart condition, and they had to do a surgery like a they had to place like a femoral line where as before they used to have to open them up but now you know he was able to go home the next day because they practice these techniques using animals so i i'm like you're welcome dad because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know because he had a he had an aortic aneurysm that's that's that could be wow. fatal yeah. mm-hmm. but they were able to go in through you know the artery and fix it without opening him up and up his abdomen at all. They just did fluoro and he got up the next day and left. Um, and, and the only reason that they can do those types of things now is because they practice those, those critical procedures using animals. And it's my job to make sure that those animals are treated humanely. And I feel very, very passionate about that. Yeah. 100%. I kind of like try to like keep that in mind. And I just personally have said this to my team as well, that, you know, these animals, are giving their lives for our knowledge and research. And so it's our job to kind of be the, their stewards as they while they are here with us and make sure that they get the best experience possible. And so, you know, thank you so much uh, for people like you for advocating for the animals and all of our lab animal and research-based uh, veterinary anesthesia people out there. Uh, thank you so much for uh, making sure that our animals get the best experience possible. And Dr. Charlotte Kane, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. All right. Um, I will put all of the information as far as links to um, the Lab Animal VTS, if you guys are interested, in our show notes. And that's all for us this week, Veterinary Anesthesia Nerds. We'll see you next time. Bye.